You know, last week we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. We really started with a, a, a key verse. Today we're going to talk about commitment, continuing our theme of commitment. Remember a couple of weeks ago I asked you if you were compromised or committed. You see on the screen there's a seal as if you could put a seal of genuine on commitment. What, that, what would that look like? What does genuine commitment look like? Well, Jesus said, we heard him say last week, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. That was our key verse. We also touched on Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 8, where Jesus said, uh, call some people hypocrites because he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so we know that commitment is a matter of the heart. When Jesus is looking for genuine commitment, he's not looking so much or listening to so much as what I say, but he's looking at my heart. God sees not as man sees. The Bible says in the Old Testament, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So what is genuine commitment? Who makes that determination? Do you make it about your own commitment or does the Lord make it about you? Let me tell you a story about something that happened in the early 1940s. The famous artist Pablo Picasso gave interviews to a photographer who was studying his work. Uh, he invited him into his home and he was uh, taking pictures. You know, that's, that's what he was doing. And so while he was taking pictures, Pablo Picasso needed to be out for a while out of his home. So he left and, and, and while he was gone, as the artist or as the photographer continued to take pictures, there was a knock at the door. And there was this lady who was standing at the door uh, with a small package wrapped in, in, uh, in brown paper, carefully tied with a string. And she asked if she could see Pablo Picasso. And the photographer who was just working there in his home said, well, he stepped out and I don't know when he will be back. She said, I'm willing to wait all day if necessary. And she waited. She waited for two hours. When Picasso returned, she took out the little paper a picture that she had under her arm, carefully unwrapped it, untied the string, and <clears throat> said, Mr. Picasso, allow me to present you with one of your old paintings. That's what she thought it was, but she couldn't be sure because there was no signature on it. So Picasso took the little picture in his hand and he scanned it with his eyes and he looked at it. And then after a minute, he smiled and said, yes. This is a Picasso. It is authentic. I painted it in the summer of 1922. And the lady said, well, sir, may I ask you to sign it then? Owning a, a real Picasso without a signature is very distressing. People who see it in our home may assume it's a fake. Picasso said, people are always asking me to sign my old canvases. It's ridiculous. He said, because I always marked my work or signed it one way or the other. He said, from from this period, 1914 to about 1922, he said, all my, all my works are signed on the back of the canvas. And he said, lady, the reason you can't see my signature is because it's hidden by your frame. And she said, well, couldn't you, since it's your painting, couldn't you sign it for me? And he said, no, ma'am, I cannot do it because I would be putting my 1943 signature on a 1922 work, and it would be a forgery. The more I read that story, 
I see two things, two principles that work there. First, an artist always recognizes his own work. And second, a true artist refuses to put a new signature or a fresh signature on an old work. So I want to ask you as we look at our text for today, and it's going to come from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Does the Lord recognize his work in your life? Would he say, this is a genuine work? Or could it be that it's a forgery or a counterfeit? Second, is the work of Christ fresh enough that he would sign his name to your life? Or is his work old and unrecognizable to others who know you like an old painting hanging on the wall your life has no value to those you encounter because they can't recognize the artist hand in your life so we'll try to find that out this morning and as we search for what how committed you are to the Lord honestly we have to say that commitment ebbs and flows mine does And if you're honest about your own, you're going to say that about your own commitment to Christ. Sometimes that commitment is higher than it is at others. And we go through peaks and valleys in our spiritual life. But then if we charted the commitment of people in the church, we might say what some of them are, if we made a graph, we'd say some of them are so small it's scarcely recognizable, almost no commitment at all, maybe up to 25% commitment. And then there are those who we'd say, well, they have a 25% commitment to Christ up to 50% commitment to Christ. And then others we'd say, well, they they have from somewhere from 50 to 75% commitment to Christ. And then how many of you though could say, I am totally committed to Christ? Is there anyone who would say, I'm 100% committed. I have yielded up my life totally to Christ. But what kind of commitment does Christ want from you? Is he satisfied with a 25% commitment or a 50% commitment or a 75% commitment or does he want something more? So this can be illustrated in several different encounters uh, that Jesus had with these people in the gospel of Luke. Beginning in chapter 9 verse 57, the Bible says as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that was his claim of commitment. That was his promise. But the first thing that we need to understand about measuring commitment is that the measure of commitment is more than a claim of commitment. Just saying, Jesus is my Lord is not enough. It doesn't work that way. Are just saying, Lord, I will follow you. I'll do what you want me to do. And certainly this commitment made by the man in verse 57 is not an optional commitment for the believer. All of us ought to make that commitment to say, wherever he leads, I'll go. Whatever it is he wants me to do, I will do it. But some of us sing that commitment in our songs. I have decided to follow Jesus or whatever. You can sing about it and you can say it, but just singing it or saying it without meaning it is of no value. You're like the person that Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So what is the true nature of commitment to Christ? Jesus, we looked several weeks ago at Luke 6, 46, where Jesus, again on this same issue of commitment, said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? That is the question 
that he's asking me today, that is the question that he's asking you. Have you answered it? He is either Lord or he isn't. So because Jesus sensed that man was giving him only lip service to his commitment, maybe looking for a, a more comfortable place to be, thinking that, that following Jesus was going to give him more safety or security, Jesus said in verse 58, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, and so some of us maybe, uh, uh, you know, we think about the 20th century, uh, and that's back in the 1900s when some of us lived. Uh, we think about the 20th century when it was very comfortable to be committed to Christ. As a matter of fact, you might more likely get elected to an office. If you uh, came to church and you were associated with Christ or people knew that, that you were a believer, but we've crossed the line when we moved into the 2000s. We're in the 21st century. And now in 2022, it's much less likely that your commitment to Christ will get you a job or get you elected. As a matter of fact, it may be a very uncomfortable commitment going forward. And so you say that you're committed to Christ, and yet some of you honestly have a problem putting together two Sundays in a row when you can be at church. Uh, and, and, to, and when the pastor speaks about commitment, it bothers you or troubles you, which illustrates the fact that many of us are seriously uncommitted. So before you give lip service saying, Lord, Lord, or Lord, I will follow you wherever you go, you need to weigh the consequences of that commitment and be willing to give life service to it, not just lip service to it. So in verses 59 and 60, Jesus went on to say there was another that Jesus issued the call to. He said to that fellow, he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, I'll do that, but permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And this illustrates our second point, and that is that the measure of commitment is based on your response to the call uh, for commitment. Now, when we look at that passage of Scripture, we have to ask a question. Was this man's daddy really dead? Had he died? Well, no, because if his daddy had been dead, he wouldn't have been there talking to Jesus. How do we know that? Well, in those days, when someone died, the funeral was almost immediate. It was the same day. They just had to do that. They had to take care of everything and get it done. So that was not what the man was talking about. This was an oriental expression just stating that my father is still with me. I need to live out the rest of my years with my father and serve my father. I can't follow you. That was his excuse. He had a catch in his commitment. So do some of you. What is the excuse you give for not being able to do what Jesus wants you to do. And so instead, Jesus called him to decision. But some of us are, are simply too busy. We're busy doing other things, busy pursuing other priorities and other passions. All the while, the Lord calls us to commitment, but we can't serve, we can't come, we can't be faithful, we can't read our Bible, we can't pray, we can't, we can't, we can't, because we have a bad catch in our commitment. There's always an excuse, one or the other, this or that. This reason or that reason, I can't be committed. And if you can't excuse away Christ's call to commitment, then you are uncommitted. The 
question of Christ is already answered in your life. When he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? The answer is, he's not Lord. You're not committed. Whatever claim of commitment you hold up, when the Lord examines it, as Picasso examined that little picture the woman gave him, although Picasso recognized it was genuine, when Christ looks at your commitment, what does he say about it? Is it genuine or is it counterfeit? So the measure of your commitment is not based on your claim of commitment. Just because you say doesn't mean it's genuine. The measure of your commitment is based on how you respond to Christ's call for commitment. Are you doing what he asked you to do? Are you serving as he asked you to serve? Are you going where he wants you to go? The standard of commitment, and this is the final point, the standard of commitment is absolute obedience to the call of Christ. So we look at verses 61 and 62. Where, where this other fellow came and said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but permit me first to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. But in these verses, this man was really, he really had no intention of, of following Jesus. Saying goodbye meant finishing that phase of his life. Let me raise my children first and then I will follow you. Let me, uh, let me uh, reach retirement first, and then I will follow you. And some of us have made those same promises. We've delayed our commitment. Uh, we said, I'm going to do this for the Lord one day, but that time has come and gone since you made that promise. Since then, the children have been raised, and, and now they're grandchildren, and you still can't follow. And retirement has come, and with it other concerns, and you still can't follow. Something always comes first, and something always will, until you determine that Christ must be first above all. And so Jesus said to the man, he said, No man having looking, put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There are no exceptions to that rule. That's why Jesus always laid out the cost of true discipleship. He goes on to say later in Luke in chapter 14, verse 33, no one can be my disciple unless he's willing to give up all his own possessions. And no one means you and it means me. Now there can be no excuse for me not following Jesus. I remember some years ago when I was reading through my utmost for his highest and I have been through the devotion book many times in my life but there was one particular season in my life that I came to the May 31st devotion if you've ever used a little book as Oswald Chambers uh, was a pastor he was a chaplain an army chaplain in Egypt uh, and died at an early age and later his wife took snippets of his sermons and put them together in this little devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest. And he emphasizes, one of the things he emphasizes is abandon or surrender to Christ, giving up your life to the commitment of Christ. And I came to this devotion, it was on May 31st, and the title of it is Yes, But. And I'm going to read you, and they're just little paragraphs, so I'm going to read you that little devotion. He said, supposing God tells you to do something that is an enormous test to your common sense, what are you going to do? Hang back? If you get into the habit of doing a thing in the physical domain, you will do it every time until you break the habit determinedly. And the same thing is true spiritually. Again and again, you will get up to what Christ wants, and every time 
you will turn back when it comes to the point until you abandon resolutely. Yes, but supposing I do obey God in this matter, what about? Yes, I will obey God if he will let me use my common sense, but don't ask me to take a step in the dark. And then he says, Jesus Christ demands of the man who trusts him the same reckless sporting spirit that the natural man exhibits. If a man is going to do anything worthwhile, there are times when he has, when he has to risk everything on his leap. And in the spiritual domain, Jesus Christ demands that you risk everything you hold by common sense and leap into what he says, and immediately you do, you find that what he says fits on as solidly as common sense. At the bar of common sense, Jesus Christ's statements may seem mad, but bring them to the bar of faith, and you begin to find with awestruck spirit that they are the words of God. Trust entirely in God, and when he brings you to the venture, see that you take it. In other words, if Christ is calling you to commitment, make the commitment. If he's calling you to, to take some step of faith, take the step of faith. If he's calling you to preach, surrender to the call to preach. If he's calling you to missions, surrender to the call to missions. Make the journey. Don't say, Lord, I'll do that, and then don't do it. Don't say, Lord, I will do it one day, and then delay that obedience. Make it conditional, depending on circumstances. Don't have a catch in your commitment. Don't give him an excuse. At least be honest. At least say, no, I'm not ready to follow Christ. No, I don't want to make a commitment to Christ. But don't call him Lord. Don't call him Lord. And don't do the things that he says. Because what Christ calls for is absolute obedience to his call. Whatever it is. There's some people who would say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. I don't know when I ever was, never was a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. You can't have been a Christian all your life. There's a moment of decision, a moment when Christ reveals to you that you're a sinner and that you're going to die and you're going to go to hell and you need Christ in your life and without him you're hopeless and you come to that moment of surrender and you come to that moment of commitment and you make that commitment. Not only do you make it to Christ, you make it before men because you're not ashamed of him. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father and before the holy angels. Make that commitment. My goodness, we're, it's illustrated every day in this community how serious that is. It's not just a matter of life and death. It's a matter of spending eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Make the commitment or be honest and say, I choose not to make it. I choose not to follow Christ. But don't call him Lord and don't do the things that he says.